Good morning. Well, welcome this morning, and we're delighted to have back our women who went to Israel. We want to hear about it. I know you're still maybe jet-lagged, so we won't expect anything today, but we're looking forward to hearing about it. So, did you like the reading this week? So many great stories. And as I was preparing to teach this week, there were a couple of stories, well, most of them were familiar to me, but as I reread them and reread them, thinking, you know, I'm going to teach on this, um, a few jumped out, and some different aspects jumped out um, that I think I'm going to focus on. And so I think the theme, maybe, I'm hoping, I'm working on this theme, that God is kind of working in our lives, and how does he do that? Um, so the first story that, that I really loved was when Jesus calmed the storm. And he rescued the disciples that were in the boat with him. The Bible says that they were amazed and astonished. And they wondered who Jesus was, that he could calm even the sea and the storm. These were the people who'd been with Jesus. They'd watched his every move. They'd been there since nearly the beginning of his ministry. And yet they were still amazed and astonished and wondering didn't they know who he was by now and it occurred to me that at this time they believed he was the messiah but they were mostly all jews and they expected their messiah at that time to be this political leader here on earth you know come into town run for the school board take over the city council and then boom you're king he was to be the man who could free them from Roman oppression and lead the Jews as God's king on earth. His rule would have God's stamp of approval. They've been waiting for this. I think they expected him to be a special man with God's approval. That's just my opinion, but I think they were kind of surprised that he was so much different than they expected. He could do things that people, even special, kingly, godly people, couldn't do. Even the wind and the sea obeyed his voice. At this point, I think they were beginning to get an inkling that he wasn't just this kingly, godly man. He was something so much more than that. And I think their attitude reflects what happens when seeds, or the word, fall on good ground? Remember last, last week's teaching about the seeds that fell on the good ground? Seeds that fell on good or receptive ground grew, and they grew strong. And I think the disciples' faith grew as they were taught by Jesus. I'm encouraged in reading how these disciples grew. Their faith wasn't fully formed at the beginning. They were afraid. They were afraid they were going to die, even though Jesus was in the boat with them. And then they were amazed and astonished when Jesus calmed the wind and the sea. So then I thought, well, what did they think he was going to do? When they called out to him, and they called out to him to save them, why were they surprised when he did it? And I think maybe what they expected, because they were fishermen, after all, 
So I think they maybe expected Jesus to take charge like a boat captain. No? Okay, the boat is healing. James, get to the bow, grab the jib to the windward. Andrew, pull the boom on the mainsail to starboard. All of you grab the loose lines and we'll tack into the wind. Well, you know, I'm not a sailor, so I just kind of threw a lot of words in. <laughs> but you get the picture. They expected him to be a sea captain. They were expecting something within their normal experience, I think. But what Jesus did was completely unexpected and something no other person could have done. He rebuked the wind and the sea. And that's the word that was used in all, in every time they mentioned this, rebuked. And I wasn't sure I understood what that, I kind of thought I knew what that meant, but I looked it up. And it means to reprimand. It's strong criticism. It's, one, one dictionary said it's a tongue lashing. I like that, tongue lashing. People with authority rebuke. Rebuking is not, okay back there, I kind of wish you'd stop that. Or, okay everybody, that's enough, let's quiet down. Jesus stood up, I do it but I probably knock everything over. Jesus stood up in that rocking, rolling boat and he held his arms out and he yelled, Peace! Be still! And I'm going to say it again. People with authority rebuke like that. Jesus had authority over the wind and the sea. And the disciples were amazed. They were expecting him to save them. They had faith. They woke him up because they expected him to save them. But they were expecting it to happen in a completely different way. And after they saw what he could do, they began to understand him better, and their faith was growing. The story about the disciples reminds me that I think we're kind of a lot like these disciples as our faith grows. We accept Christ not really knowing about his power and not really understanding what he wants for us. And the good ground in us, though, our faith in accepting him grows this seed of faith just as the disciples' faith grew as they became closer to Christ and as they walked with him. Our faith at the beginning expects God to act in ways we understand. Ways that are familiar to us because of the experiences we've had. So when we pray, we ask for things that we understand. We want security. We want good things for ourselves and those we love. We want healing. And God answers us. But he is not limited to answer us as we expect him to answer. Remember that the disciples knew Jesus would save them. And he did, but he did it in a way that made their initial prayer seem pretty small. They wanted to survive this particular storm. But the way Jesus answered their cry for help was completely out of the box. It was much bigger than that single storm. The way he did it showed the disciples that he could calm 
every storm. He exceeded their ask and their expectations. And he wants to do the same thing for us. We usually go to him for something specific. Fix this problem, help me deal with this nosy neighbor, what am I going to do about my kid's school problem, help me with this decision, how can I reach my husband for you? And he hears us. But sometimes we think he's not answering. We have this expectation about what the answer is going to be. Yes, the neighbor's going to move. <laughs> the kids, you know, you'll be able to do this. We, we have this expectation. But let's also be open. Let's let our faith grow to recognize that sometimes his answer to our ask is going to be something we totally don't expect and that we may not understand or it's something that we would never have asked for. In fact, sometimes the answer brings more questions. Think about the disciples. They just wanted to live through that storm, right? And then they see that this man they've been following is so much more than they ever imagined. He must be the Son of God because no one else could do what he did. All of a sudden, the storm is kind of secondary to bigger issues. If this is the Son of God, they might have said, I'll follow him through anything. And they did. And they did wonderful things. Think about what they did. They spread the gospel through the entire known world. They healed. They taught. They were an example of how to live and sometimes how not to live. They were human, just like us. But they had allowed God to use them. And we can do that too. God doesn't expect us to have a fully formed faith at the beginning of our walk with him. But as we walk with him, and we see what he's doing in our lives and the lives of the, of the people that we're with who are Christ followers, our faith will and should grow just like the disciples' faith grew. So let's be open to God answering our prayers in ways that are kind of totally out of the box. And that's the way he answered the prayer of another person we read about. The woman who was healed of this decade-long hemorrhage. He far exceeded her expectation. As big as it was, it was a big expectation, but he exceeded that. And he not only healed her body, but he restored her life in the community. So I looked up hemorrhage because I thought, you know, I think I know what that is again. I sort of have an idea, but I think, why did they use that really long word here? And it's from a Greek root word, and it's not just a trickle like you get from a paper cut, you know? This was a free and forceful escape of blood. This was lots. This bleeding made her ritually and practically unclean in the Jewish community. So this genital flow of blood, let's just be honest about it, we know from Leviticus that that makes a woman unclean back in those days for 
she, for seven days after you stopped bleeding. The Bible says this woman had not stopped bleeding for 12 years. So for 12 years, she was considered unclean. And what that meant was that every chair she sat on was unclean. And anyone who touched anything she had touched became unclean. And they stayed unclean until they had washed themselves completely and washed every stitch of clothing they had on. And then they weren't clean until the evening of that day. Now, you know, this is kind of practical. Washing wasn't the relatively simple thing it is today. It was a big deal. These people had very few changes of clothing. And they washed in a stream or in baskets or buckets or something. And they had other chores that had to be done in order to survive. Washing, you know, taking time out to wash wasn't something you do every day. So it was easier for them to shun this woman and anything she touched and all of her belongings than to come close to her. And she lived like that for 12 years until she heard that Jesus, the Messiah healer, was coming to town. And so she went to see him, believing that all she had to do to be healed was just creep up behind him. And remember, she was probably afraid to face him in the front, because what would he do? Just like everyone else, he would turn away from her. That's what she thought. He would turn away, he wouldn't heal her, she'd be back where she was. So she just believed that touching the hem of the back of his robe without him even knowing about it would be enough to heal her. She had faith in him despite all her disappointments. She had faith that he would heal her, and he did. But he not only healed the hemorrhage, he recognized her touch. He knew the instant she touched the hem of the garment behind him. And he turned to her the way people don't do. And he called her and he told her, you are healed. He spoke to her. People hadn't been doing that. And then, what did he do? He called her daughter. She just hoped to be cured. And instead, she wasn't only cured. She was brought into God's family, and she was restored to a life that was worth living. And these, thinking about these two stories, that when I read them, made me realize that sometimes, well, okay, most of the time, my prayers are for specifics that I understand. Seeing in these stories how generous God wants to be, I'm encouraged to pray differently. I'm encouraged to pray for understanding about how God is already working in ways in my life that I might not understand. To pray for an open mind that I'll expect an answer I'm not expecting. For the faith to know that God is at work and that my answer might be much larger than what I expect. So think about these stories this week and see if they don't encourage you like they've encouraged me to pray a little bigger this coming week. Let's see what God can do. And another story that was also really familiar to me, but the more I read it over and over, I realized what I'd been missing. So 
let me explain something though before I keep going because I I keep saying talking about these stories and I'm calling these passages stories but I want you to understand these aren't stories like Aesop's fables and Wonder Woman you know those aren't true <laughs> okay. the Bible stories are true okay they actually are a retelling of something that really happened um, so I'm just calling them stories in the sense that that's the word that you know is easier for me to use but they're a retelling of something that the author actually witnessed or that he was told by someone who witnessed it so they're true so in each of the three Gospels this week we read similar passages about Jesus sending out the disciples and we read this in Matt chapter 10 and Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 9 and the versions have some differences you know again mostly because of the, the nature and the interests of the writers um, and Megan explained that last week and I think you know it really helps to have heard that that they had different audiences and a different focus the basics were all the same though Jesus sent his disciples out to preach about the kingdom of God. And he gave them instructions about how to behave and what to take with them and what they should do in town and when they should get out. And there's a saying, um, you've probably heard it, that when God calls, he equips. And in this passage, he was equipping them. But the preparation he gave them wasn't limited to practical rules and advice and instructions. The very first thing he gave them was power. In each of the translations, that's what he did. He gave them power, and then he gave them the instructions. And it was the power, Matthew says in chapter 10, to cast out demons and heal all kinds of sickness and disease. So Jesus took these fishermen and a tax collector and he gave them the ability to heal every kind of illness. And we've read about some of the health problems they had in that first century. You know, blindness, deafness, paralysis, leprosy. But we also know there were other diseases too. We know that they had cancers and tuberculosis and polio and smallpox. Imagine the impact these healings would have had on the population that didn't even have antibiotics or vaccines like we do. The population of that time was very familiar with these diseases and the usually disastrous consequences they had. Disfigurement, death, banning from the community. The disciples would have been very familiar with them. They've probably had a family member or neighbors who've come down with some of these diseases. And now, these possibly illiterate and certainly working class men had the power, the ability to end this suffering. God equipped them with ability, with power, before he sent them out. He didn't tell them, Go out there, do your best, and we'll just keep our fingers crossed. Yeah. He gave them the power, to, the ability to do what he wanted them to do, and then he sent them out to do it. 
And we heard Julie last week talking about her mission in Africa. And honestly, it makes me laugh every time I think about how she and her husband decided to serve for a couple of months in the Mercy Ship program, and now she's going to be there for another year. Honestly, it was really casual. She's watching a video about the program, and then she thinks it sounds kind of interesting, and boom, they're filling out an application. I know that she did not carefully assess her qualifications and her prior experience, and then balance the number of missions they've been on in this church, and then decide what new skills they might need. You know, you get it. She didn't do that. Because God already had. And he has already given them the power, the ability, to do what he wanted them to do. And he is going to continue to equip them today for what they need. And that's what he does in our lives. For each one of us, we're being prepped for the future for the tasks that God has in mind for us to move his kingdom forward. That's the purpose, is to move his kingdom forward. But we have to be willing to take that step towards his will. There's another saying that's been around so long. Honestly, no one really knows who said it first. And it says, and it's, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And I think that's true. But the timing isn't quite that straightforward to me. God's not limited to qualifying or equipping us only after he calls us. He weaves the experiences we'll need to do his work into our entire lives. And then we realize he's calling. Julie said, we feel like God opened the doors and prepared us for this years in advance. That preparation for them included medical missions in Tijuana and the youth outreach program in Honduras through this church, as well as volunteering at Ronald McDonald House for Julie and construction work in management and Centro Shalom work in Tijuana for Keith. They didn't do those projects in order to be more fully prepared to go on this Africa mission. They did those projects because God put an interest in their hearts to serve. So they served where they could in projects that were available to them. And now they're serving in Africa because those earlier projects prepared them. And in 2020, I'm pretty convinced they'll be serving somewhere else. And it will be service that they are equipped for, at least partially, because they've spent this time in Africa. And it will be service that in turn is going to be preparing them for something even farther down the road. So, what about us? Are we willing to listen to the calling of God in our lives? Are we willing to take the opportunities that he puts in our present? We look at Julie and Keith or the many, many other people, including lots of you women who do so many things and you serve in so many capacities in this church. And too often, I think some of us think, like I do sometimes, 
I couldn't do that. Or, you know, I don't like to cook for a crowd. I just don't like to make big meals. Or, you know, I'm not good at praying out loud. Denise knows just what to say, so let's have her do it. <laughs> I don't have any medical know-how, so I wouldn't be any help at all. Or, I'm not good with kids. I'm not nearly as good as Gabby is, so I'm just going to stay out of the way. <laughs> Part of our reluctance is kind of shyness, or we feel like we're inadequate. But I want you to hear, hear this that really struck me this week. We just honestly need to get over that. Seriously. You don't have to do the best job. And you don't have to make the prettiest cake. And you don't have to stitch up wounds like a plastic surgeon. Okay? What about driving the people that do that? What about cleaning up after they do their work? Or doing something here so that they can go there? Remember, it's God who gives the power, that ability to us in order to move his kingdom forward. So if the work is something that God has created an interest in you for and an opportunity and that he's calling for, he's going to equip you for it. And he will give you the ability to do that thing, whatever it is. So what's he equipping you for now? And what has he already equipped you for? You, are, you may already be doing. And how is that going to prepare you for what's coming up? I don't know a lot about your lives, some, most of you, but I do know about mine. <clears throat> and I can see that the work I did for many years as an attorney, where my job repeatedly required that I was the cool head in the room prepared me for the things I do now. I was the head of a department responsible in many cases for handling ethics issues. So if something inappropriate was said or done, think, you know, at me too. Um, I was the one who needed to make the immediate decision. Do I stop everything right now and deal with this, or do I allow things to go on and deal with it later? I acted as the point person for my company with the FBI after 9-11. And as a result of the records of my company, we provided material information early on to the FBI on more than half the terrorists. It was my responsibility to deal with so many hot button issues and to do it objectively and calmly that one of my bosses, the CEO, nicknamed me the Ice Queen. <laughs> because I just wasn't allowed to get rattled, even if everyone else was. And today, I'm not serving halfway around the world in Africa. That's Julie's service. I serve today in Vista. You know, that's a little bedroom community. It's like 20 miles north of here. And my primary responsibilities that I believe God has given me for this time in my life are to make the lives of two elderly, Christ-loving people, my parents, easier. To let them stay in their own home. To make sure their nutrition is good and varied. Take them to all their medical and dental and vision appointments. Keep things running smoothly for them. I'm the one who calmly deals 
with their emergencies like burst pipes or broken bones. As a result of these responsibilities, though, I've witnessed my parents sharing Christ with every single doctor they have, with every one of their caregivers, with their neighbors, with their family, and friends that they communicate with long distance. And until God calls them home, I'm going to continue to make it easier for them to witness to others about what God's doing in their lives in that 70 years of marriage and a combined lifespan of 192 years. And I'll be honest with you, you know, it's not nearly as glamorous or fun as working with the FBI. <laughs> and it's not as great as having the power to advise C-level people in a Fortune 50 company like I used to do. But it's where God has put me today, and for the last seven years, and, and for the foreseeable future. And I see every week that skills I developed then, I use those skills every week. And I'm grateful for the experiences I had in my background that make my service now more effective for the people that I serve, my parents, my sister and her husband, my own husband. I honestly think that without years of juggling high-impact decisions like I used to have to do, I would be struggling today. I wouldn't be happy. But God knew what was in my future for him and he prepared me for this. So does it help to look at your life today as preparation for the future? Because that's what it is. Can you look back at what you've been through and see that God is preparing you for what you do today or maybe something you're going to be doing next week or next month or next year? Does it give you the desire to see what else God can accomplish if you let him? <clears throat> I think it's kind of like a treasure hunt. If we allow God to use us in the ways that he knows are best, <clears throat> won't it be amazing where we turn up? Think about, what if we all made a pact and we all got back together in five years and we shared what's happened in the last five years because of we've let God take our lives and use them. And I, I've met so many wonderful people in the neighborhood where my parents live that I wouldn't have met before, that honestly, I now have learned to make the world's best dill pickles. <laughs> they are primo from a neighbor. And I'm practically taking a master course in growing avocados and pruning roses from another neighbor. And don't even get me started on how to deal with doctors and hospitals and insurance companies. And the satisfaction for me is immense. But it's the satisfaction of doing what God has in mind for me to do. It's not the work itself necessarily. It's being in God's will. It's right, I'm right where God wants me to be. And if you're not sure that you're in that position, here are a couple of ideas to kind of think about. First of all, obviously, pray about it. Share your concerns and your desires with God. Ask him to make it clear to you what you should be doing or where you're going to go or what you need to do next. But there's a little caveat with that. 
You better be ready to pay attention to what he says and what he shows you. Don't ask God what he wants you to do and then decide that, you know, I'm just not ready for that right now. Be prepared for that out-of-the-box answer. And then be open to the opportunity that God does put in front of you. There may be something like Julie or Keith and Keith experienced that just intrigues you and God may just move you out and increase your interest. Or you may stay right here doing what you're already doing, but knowing that you're where God wants you. And it gives you a new attitude of service to him. You're not serving the circumstances, you're serving God. And then, you know, lastly, understand that there are seasons in life. <clears throat> and your season right now isn't necessarily where you're going to be days or months or weeks from now. Serve where you are, knowing that God is using you today. And at the same time, he's preparing you for something in the future. But that's only if you let him. So I'd like us to be open like the disciples. And when we start to see God working in a way we hadn't expected, be open to that. Let's let our faith grow so huge that we know he'll fix things and then be sure to praise him when he does it much larger and probably differently than the way we expect. So those were, the, those were the stories that really impacted me this week, and I hope that, um, I know that there are stories that impacted you. So when you go to your tables, make sure that you talk about the stories that impacted you, because that impact, what we call impact or interest, that could be God talking to you about something that you need to think about with those stories. So share at least one passage that really meant something to you this week as you go on to your tables. Do we have announcements? I don't think we have. Nope. I think we're good. You're excused to go to your tables and have a great talk.